0: Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale Up Yon Macool, Cool Cullen, Dear draw the sorrows, Grown, you wail. From giants right down to fairies, of the drooping and solitary. And those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka fireside, the Merrill fireside. Kings and queens, fact and heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish Storytelling Podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a tale from folklore or mythology, we retell the story, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. O'Lehan, and I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 21 of Fireside. I am absolutely delighted to be recording this once again from the beautiful surroundings of the head. Stuff Podcast Network Studios. I've been on the road for the last few months, traveling around America with uh, two shows, Celtic Nights and the World of Musicals, and was delighted to be able to take this podcast on the road for the past few months. But now, this is the first podcast I'm recording back in our home at Headstuff in Dublin uh, since since before Christmas, I think, or just after Christmas. I think the last episode I recorded was just in January there. Uh, And it's absolutely fantastic to be back. I was delighted, like I said, to be able to do the podcast on the road. I'm really happy with the gear and with the quality I was able to maintain. Mostly thanks to my wonderful producer, Jamie Reynolds, for editing it and making it sound pretty. But just instantly... Even just hearing this back in my headphones now as I'm recording it, it feels so good to be back in the studio and in the surroundings, in the soundproofed room with the good gear plugged into the good computer and all. So it's great to be back and it feels, it does, it feels like a homecoming and it feels warm in here and I'm delighted to be back, yes, I'll say that again. So uh, thank you If you're a returning listener Thank you so much for your continued support It is amazing to be able to say That we are on episode 21 If you've been listening since the beginning I can't thank you enough For your continued support Uh, If it's your first time listening You're very welcome along to Fireside Uh, This is a good one This could be a good introductory episode There's nothing else There's no other previous episode You need to have listened to To enjoy today's tale Uh, But if you do enjoy it Why don't you go right back to the beginning Especially for the mythologies Uh, to see what we're building up and to see what we've got going on here. Uh, If you would like to support the podcast, please do continue to uh, subscribe, to leave reviews and ratings on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy the podcast and you would like to support it even further, we have just launched a Patreon page with the aims of taking Fireside and producing it as a live experience. We want to do a live show of live storytelling readings with very different readers and possibly some music as well. And you can make that possible very easily by donating any, even the smallest amount and on Patreon uh, forward slash Fireside podcast any and all contributions are very welcome, but that is up to yourself i'm more than happily to release this podcast um every week to write and re-, re to write and release this podcast. It gives me great pleasure and continue to listen to for, so to, for free if you so choose i'm not going to stop, but if you want to support the patreon is there today 's story is another folk tale it is another tale from the American Folk Songs, Folk Tales and Songs, uh, collected by Richard Chase, which I've been drawing from <clears throat> for the past couple of months, uh, looking at Irish-American folktales to mix it up a little bit and to coincide with my travels. But as my travels have come to an end, uh, this, I think, will be the last folktale I look at from uh, from the Richard Chase book. I beg your pardon, Uh, but it has opened up a possible new world, I think. Uh, Most likely going to go back to our previous sources of folktale books, of Irish folktales. But it has opened up a possible another avenue, which I'm very excited to talk about, which I'll talk about afterwards. But I'm going to say enough with the preamble and get cracking down to the story. So this is a tale called Mr. Fox. It is an old, very old folk tale, and I'll talk about the sources of it afterwards. It's a tale of murder. It's a tale of mystery. It is a tale of a young woman named Pretty Polly and a man named Mr. Fox. I'm going to read the story now, and we'll chat afterwards. So this is Mr. Fox on Fireside. <laughs> Mr. Fox. Once there was a young girl named Polly. Because she was absolutely gorgeous, they called her Pretty Polly. Pretty Polly hated being called Pretty Polly, so naturally the name stuck. Pretty Polly lived by herself in a small house just outside a settlement in North Carolina. Both her parents had died, and she had no brothers or sisters, so the house was hers and hers alone. The pain of losing both parents had made Polly decide that she would never marry. She maintained friendly relationships with many of the folks in the settlement, but always enjoyed returning home and being by herself. She was not a lonely sort. She enjoyed her own company. One day, a stranger rolled into town. He was tall, slick-looking, and handsome. Dressed head-to-toe in black, save for a beautifully detailed waistcoat and red silk cravat. With a top hat and cane and a long cloak, he was quite unlike anyone the townspeople had ever seen before. He went round asking folks where pretty Polly lived. He said he was from the big city, but word had reached his ears of the beauty who lived by herself in this settlement. And he had come to town to find her, win her, and marry her. Eventually he found Polly's address. He went straight to her door and knocked three times. When Polly answered, The stranger said, Pretty Polly, rumors of your beauty were far from exaggerated. My name is Mr. Fox, and I have come to court you. Is that right? And what, may I ask, Mr. Fox, would make you think I would ever court you when I have refused the courtship of just about every other man in this settlement? I'm not like any other man from this settlement or any other replied mr fox if you get to know me miss you will see that all for yourself i'm sure you think that in your fancy clothes and cock and bull stride but deep down i think you just want one thing and what might that be my house miss polly I can assure you I come from the city where I have my own townhouse bigger than any building in this town. I do not come for property. I come here for beauty. And that, I think, I have found. That kind of talk won't work on me, Slick. Oh, I have no doubt. I just ask that you take a walk with me. And by the end of it, if you're still not interested... I'll leave town today. Polly would hate to admit it, but she was intrigued by the attitude of this stranger. He did indeed seem different to any man she had met, and in any case, it seemed quite apparent she was not going to get rid of him easily. You don't give up, do you? I'm a hard worker. Go on, then. and pretty Polly, and Mr. Fox went for a walk. Polly kept her guard up as Mr. Fox boasted and tried to impress her, but as the man started to relax, so did she. And soon the two began to have a real conversation, and found that they had a lot in common. Mr. Fox, too, was alone in the world, with no family. He said he knew that he talked a big game, but deep down felt a loneliness on his own in the city. Polly admired this moment of vulnerability Mr. Fox had shown her, At the end of the walk, Mr. Fox asked Polly could he see her again. She said he could. Well, that is great news, said Mr. Fox. How about next Saturday night, under the big pine tree out on the ridge? How do you know about the pine tree? asked Polly. I've been looking for you for a while, pretty Polly, so I've seen a lot around. And like I said, I'm a hard worker. With that, Mr. Fox bowed and left Polly at her front door. By the time Saturday night came around, pretty Polly's better judgment had returned to her, and she decided she had no interest in seeing Mr. Fox again. She didn't know him at all, and she sensed that there was just something about him that didn't seem quite right. She was going to not go at all, but she had been raised better than that so she decided she would go to the big pine on the ridge to tell Mr. Fox in person. Saturday night came, and it was cold and windy. Polly wrapped up and made her way out to the meeting place. She had loved that spot when she was a child, the pine tree on the ridge. It was secluded, and there was an incredible view of the town from atop the tree. Polly thought she'd climb the tree to see that view again. She grabbed a low-hanging branch and hoisted herself up until she was nestled in the tree. She looked out at all the little houses lit up inside like a whole host of campfires. She then saw a little light approach the ridge. It was Mr. Fox carrying a lantern. Polly decided she would stay up in the tree to see how the man reacted when she didn't show up. Mr. Fox put down his lantern, sat on a rock, and waited. He waited and waited, occasionally standing up to look down the ridge for any sign of life. Eventually, Mr. Fox stood up, reached behind the rock, and pulled out a shovel. He went to the other side of the tree, the side that would be masked if you were approaching from the town, and Mr. Fox began to dig. Polly looked on in curiosity until it became apparent that the hole Fox was digging was six feet long and three feet wide. Mr. Fox was digging a grave, a grave for pretty Polly. Polly froze still up there as she looked on in horror. Mr. Fox would dig, wipe himself down, mop his brow, go back round to the rock to sit down and wait, and then would return to the digging. He waited for hours until about midnight. When he realised Polly wasn't coming, he shouldered his shovel, picked up his lantern, and walked away. Polly waited in that tree until he was well ahead of her, then she slid down, ran home, and bolted her front door shut. Mr. Fox never did visit Pretty Polly again. A few weeks went by, and rumours started circulating. Three young women had all gone missing from the settlement. The rumors were that Mr. Fox had been seen courting all three at the same time, probably while he was attempting to court Polly, too. However, the girls had all met Mr. Fox at a different location, so there was no evidence to confirm any suspicions. The local law enforcement tried desperately to find where Mr. Fox lived, but to no avail. Another few weeks went by until there was another three knocks on Pretty Polly's door it was Mr. Fox. He asked Polly why she hadn't turned up at their rendezvous. Polly let on that she didn't know a thing. "'Oh, I'm sorry. I felt very unwell that evening, and I would no way of contacting you.' "'I see. Well, I must admit I was hurt and dejected to be left standing on that ridge all by myself. That's why I took so long to knock on your door once again.' But I think I can find it in my heart to forgive and give you another shot. You free this Saturday night? I think I'd rather see your house. Mr. Fox was uncharacteristically taken aback. You want to see my house? Why, Polly, my house is all the way out in the woods. I thought you said you lived in the city. Uh, I did. I, I moved since we last spoke. All this fresh air out here has done me good. Glad to be rid of the hustle and bustle of the city. Looking to settle down. Oh, well, if you've moved, we ought to have a housewarming. Mr. Fox started to regain his composure. I don't reckon you'd be able to find my house all by yourself. I'd have to take you myself. I'm a big girl, Mr. Fox. Got a keen sense of direction. Tell you what... If your house is so hard to find, I'll give you a sack of flour and you can leave me a trail. Mr. Fox considered this. All right, Pretty Polly, you got yourself a deal. See you Saturday. Pretty Polly didn't visit Mr. Fox that Saturday, or the Saturday after that. She wanted to catch the man off guard. On the third Saturday since Mr. Fox's visit, Pretty Polly found the flour trail and followed it into the woods. It hadn't rained since Fox had laid the flower, so save for a few footprints and scuffs, the trail was intact. Eventually, Polly came to a rickety old house. It certainly didn't look like Mr. Fox had just moved in. Polly hid in the bushes until she saw the tall stranger emerge and walk towards the settlement. Polly waited until he was gone and then made her way into the house. Once inside polly began to look around she saw an old cage covered with a sheet she removed the sheet to reveal a parrot squawk said the parrot then polly saw a staircase and began to climb it she was about to open the door when she heard the bird cry out don't go in there pretty lady you'll lose your heart's blood but polly had come this far what harm a few steps more She opened the door and, to her horror, discovered a slaughter room covered with blood. The bodies of young women hung all around, most with their heads chopped off. Polly shut the door and ran down the stairs. "'I did warn you,' said the parrot. Polly was about to leave when she saw the handle of the front door start to turn. She panicked, threw the sheet back over the birdcage and hid under the staircase." Mr. Fox came in through the door, dragging behind him a screaming young girl. Mr. Fox pulled the sheet from over the cage. Have we had any visitors? he asked the parrot. No, sir, replied the bird. Sure, the cage has been covered since you left. Polly let out a silent sigh of relief at the parrot's intelligence, deception, and heroism. The young girl struggled and thrashed as Mr. Fox attempted to drag her up the stairs. The girl grabbed onto the stairwell for dear life and Mr. Fox took out a blade from his belt and hacked the girl's poor hand right off, which fell through the stairs and landed at pretty Polly's feet. Polly stuck her hand over her mouth to stop her from screaming. His victim howling in terror and pain, Mr. Fox succeeded in dragging her up the stairs and flung her inside the slaughter room and locked the door. Pretty Polly seized the moment, snuck out the front door and sprinted home to safety. Weeks went by and Pretty Polly never said a word to anybody. She feared for her safety but didn't think anyone would believe her. She had to prove beyond reasonable doubt that Mr. Fox was a killer and it had to be done in front of the whole settlement. As it happened, a town party was being organised for the following weekend. Everyone would be there, including plenty of eligible young women, so Mr. Fox was sure to be in attendance. Pretty Polly made a plan, dolled herself up, and attended the party. Sure enough the whole town was gathered. Polly immediately saw Mr. Fox chatting up and charming various impressionable young women. Polly wanted to run over and warn them straight away, but she bided her time and waited for the right moment. As the evening wore on, all the townsfolk started to gather round a campfire and tell stories. It came to Polly's turn and she began to describe a dream she had. "'Wouldn't be like a woman to describe a dream,' choked Mr. Fox. "'I think you'll like this one,' replied Polly. "'Pretty Polly began to describe her dream, "'that she had visited Mr. Fox's house "'and discovered a slaughter-room full of dead women, "'and then seen Mr. Fox himself drag a young woman into the house "'and cut her hand off before dragging her to her doom. As Polly told the tale, Mr. Fox would occasionally interject. This is only a dream. Ain't nothing in dreams. But as Polly continued the tale, people started to turn and look at Mr. Fox. The man began to get defensive. Not so, not so, he said. It couldn't have been me. When Polly had finished her tale, Mr. Fox stood up and proclaimed, It was not so, and it is not so, and God forbid it should ever be so. Hey, that rhymed, said one townsperson. He must be telling the truth. Yeah, said another. I mean, who has a parrot in this neck of the woods? And why was the parrot Irish, said a third. But pretty Polly was not thrown. She stood up and in a tone mocking Mr. Fox made her own proclamation. But it was so, and it is so, and here's the very hand to show. And pretty Polly took from behind her back the very hand Mr. Fox had chopped off. The townspeople cried out in horror and went to grab Mr. Fox. That could be anyone's hand. as She probably chopped it off herself. Also, her ram wasn't even as good as man. But the townspeople had seen and heard enough. "'They didn't even go to the woods to find Mr. Fox's house. "'The slightest amount of evidence was justification enough "'to take that smooth-talking con man up onto the ridge "'to that old pine tree where they tied a noose to the branch, "'hanged Mr. Fox, and buried him in that grave "'he had dug for Pretty Polly. "'And from that day forth, "'no one called Polly Pretty Polly anymore, "'for she had proven beyond doubt that she was much more than a pretty face. The end. And that was the tale of Pretty Polly and Mr. Fox on Fireside. I hope you enjoyed it. This tale is delicious. It's classic in every sense of the word. It's music to my ears. Strong heroine, dastardly villain, what more could you ask for? Um, As I said, this was a story that I found in Richard Chase's book of American Folk Tales. But the book is split into sections, of course. It's split into ancient tales, uh, tall tales, the Jack Tales, and interestingly enough, a section entitled The Fool Irishman Tales. So most of the the previous two folk tales I've told have been from the Jack Tales. There were five Jack Tales in that book, and I think I picked... I actually enjoyed all of them, but I think I picked the two... Certainly my two favourites, anyway, and I think the two strongest in the book. Which was, of course, The Cunning Thief, and uh, as it's known as in that book, Jack the Crow, but as I called it, Hudden and Dudden and Danielle O'Neary, as I mixed it up with the Irish version of it as well. The other American folktale I did, which was the Three Wishes, which again comes from an old Irish tale, that was from the opening section of the book *Ancient Tales*, which is where this story of Mister Fox comes from as well. And indeed, Mister Fox is an ancient tale. It goes back a lot earlier than a lot of folk tales and it seems to be incredibly enduring and incredibly popular for a story that I didn't know before reading it in this book. And the reason we know for sure how far back it goes is because, amazingly enough, the story of Mr. Fox is referenced in Shakespeare. In Act 1 of Shakespeare's comedy, Much Ado About Nothing, uh, a character says, and I have the quote here, it's from Act 1, Scene 1, incidentally enough. Like the old tale, my lord, it is not so, nor t'was not so, but indeed, God forbid, it should be so. And that is why I have quoted verbatim, verbatim that quote in my version of this story. I usually like to retell tales with my own dialogue, but where, where I can't do any better, and where a tale is perfect why would i change it for the sake of changing it and especially that delicious phrase it was not so and it is not so and god forbid it should ever be so why would i change that and that's incredible that we have that we have evidence from this like 15th century 16th century of this tale that possibly goes back even further than that it seems to The oldest version of this story seems to be called Bluebeard, which is an old French fairy tale about a man who murders his wives. But probably the most famous version of this story, and the version that it is called, if you look the story up on Wikipedia certainly, is The Robber Bridegroom. And it is known as The Robber Bridegroom in the Grimm Fairy Tales. So it is, even the Grimm's, even the masters of all masters of fairy tales, took this tale and made it their own. And it's known as Mr. Fox, as an English fairy tale, collected by Joseph Jacobs, who collected many of the Irish fairy tales as well. And it is as Mr. Fox that it would have made its way over to America and become a part of the Appalachian folklore that... I have become so interested in in the last few months but I have expanded and changed a good few elements what I love when I love a folk tale at its most is when I can read it once or twice and then just write And I immediately know the bones of the story and I have the total freedom to just take it any which way and use the version I have read as a guideline rather than just dictating it and writing out basically just a thesaurus version of it, as I'd call it. Basically just the same story, but just in my own slightly less well-written words, especially because how I do these stories, to try and keep them as close to the oral tradition as possible, I write them out as very much a first draft. So it just is, as I would say it, just so I have a bones and a guideline and I know it's going to be a certain length that I scripted at all. But it is very important to me that it keeps some amount of that oral nature and I hope that that does come across. And it's why I love the podcast medium and why I adore doing this podcast so much. But there are... And numerous elements that I was able to expand on. As I said, like, strong heroine and dastardly villain. That's all you really need. Mr. Fox is wonderful. He's he's a delicious villain. He's a big, bad wolf. But there's a lot of things in the version, the Richard Chase version that I read, certainly, that... I found problematic that nearly made me not do this story at all. Like I've said, for those who've listened to this podcast, I've read so many folk tales, especially Irish ones, that start off really well, but then just have no ending. They just kind of end. They seem to always be about the journey or about some moral lesson rather than a three-act structure or a big reveal, because that wasn't a thing or wasn't important, especially with Irish fairy tales most of them were cautionary especially if they actually did involve fairies so it was more about a moral lesson and mostly the message was just don't ever talk to fairies simple as um so the two biggest elements the biggest thing i think i've done in my version is pretty polly in the version i read anyway is quite a passive hero As heroes often are, especially in folk tales, the things are just happening to them and they're reacting to them, but they very rarely take any action themselves. It's mostly just them going along blindly, and especially in a lot of elements of this story. Whereas I try to make Polly a lot more active, a lot more in control, and that she thinks about these things and she thinks about her actions and that she is suspicious. So, for example, the story begins in Richard Chase's version that just there was a girl and a guy showed up and he started courting her and he said, come and meet me here. And the first bit of thought that we are introduced with in Pretty Polly is her not really wanting to go, but then going anyway. But I wanted... I wanted to, and the other big element, I wanted to expand on Mr. Fox. I wanted to hear him talk more. I instantly had this image of him. And I didn't even know if it was going to fit with the with the era it would have been set in. But it just the image just felt right. And I hope you could all picture him in your own way as well. But I wanted Polly to be suspicious of him straight away. And I wanted it all to be more a plan. Because she just goes along so much with everything you know she goes up on the hill and she's waiting for him but it's only when she sees him that she climbs in the tree rather than just being up there anyway and then deciding to stay there and the biggest one and there is he's probably the big reason i was nearly not going to is when she go not going to do this story was when she goes to the house that uh, when the hand is chopped off that she you know straight away that she's taken it. I wanted that to be a bit more of a reveal, because it made it it gave the story a little bit more of an end. Because in the version I read, you she gets it, she picks up the hand, you know she has the hand. It constantly reminds you she has the hand. She goes to the party, tells the tale, and you know what's coming. You probably know what's coming anyway, even in my version, but even just slightly keeping the reveal, I wanted to have a bit more of a punch at the end, and even though the ending I quoted verbatim in terms of Mr. Fox's dialogue, certainly with the rhymes, um, I liked the twist at the end of him being buried, and being buried in her grave was an idea that just came to me just as I was writing it at the end, and it wrapped it all up in a neat little package and the concept of Pretty Polly not being called Pretty Polly anymore. Recording a podcast into a microphone. I I have a pop shield on the microphone here in the studio, which makes the pops less plosive. And thank God for that, because of the amount of times I've had to say Pretty poly. Um But it's bloody. It's gory. It's wonderful, this murder house. And the parrot is in the actual story as well. I didn't make up the parrot. I did make the decision to make him Irish. I don't know why. It seemed like the right thing to do. But the parrot is actually in the story. And he does tell Polly not go into the room, which is gas. It is kind of fun that this dastardly villain has this talking parrot for his pet. But the influence... Of this story seems to be vast and extensive, including my big, I what an actual a writer I haven't I don't think I've talked about enough on this podcast. She's quite a recent influence, but very much a strong one now, and that is the great Margaret Atwood, who many people will know, uh, because she wrote The Handmaid's Tale but margaret atwood is an incredible um folklore obsessive as well she draws immensely from folklore and folk tales um i used to subscribe to masterclass the online classes with different different um Experts on different subjects. I had a year subscription so I could dip into anyone, any of them. I initially subscribed so I could take David Mammoth's class on playwriting, which I would really, really advise. Um, it was hugely helpful to me when I was writing Castle Worry, my show. I put on a theater upstairs here in Dublin in November. Uh, and David Mammoth is a wonderful teacher because he is just a wonderful character. If anyone's familiar with any of David Mammoth's work, like uh, American Buffalo or Glengarry, Glenn Ross or Oleana. Oh, uh, I believe is how it's pronounced. Um, you'll know what his characters are like, and he is one of his characters. He's very tough, very swear, very quick witted. He is he is Ricky Roma from Glengarry Gary, Glen Ross. If anyone's familiar with that, and he is teach in American Buffalo. He's a wonderful teacher. I have to say, I learned an awful lot. But after I finished that course, I started dipping into a couple of others, and one I took a few classes on was Margaret Atwood teaching creative writing, and she has this wonderful line, even in the trailer for her uh, for her masterclass, to totally describe how she views, because her work is, a lot of the time, very dark and very twisted, as well as very imaginative, as anyone who has read or seen The Handmaid's Tale will know. Uh, and she said... She says, uh, Little Red Riding Hood, let's start it a different way. It was dark inside the wolf. And what an amazing way to look at folklore and how much you can learn from that. It's like take the simple, strong structure and characters of a folktale and just change the point of view. And one, uh, Margaret Atwood actually wrote an entire novel based on the robber bridegroom based on the tale of Mr. Fox uh, called The Robber Bride, if anyone has read that in which she changes the sex of Mr. Fox uh, to a woman and called Zenya, and who metaphorically devours men after seducing them away from their partners the tale is told through the eyes of the men's wives partners, women whom Zenya befriends and then betrays other allusions to fairy tales and folklore are present throughout the book. So that's one I definitely want to put on the list of hopefully to read, because uh, it sounds wonderful. And m- my big man again, Neil Gaiman, who is someone that I talk about a lot on this podcast, is one of the, the big, big influences to this. Big, again, uh, folklore enthusiast. Um, and great, great storyteller across the board. He has a short story in... His book *Smoke and Mirrors*, which is a book of short stories, uh, which incidentally my girlfriend bought for me. Uh, it's a wonderful short tales, and one of the stories in that is uh, it's called *The White Road*, and it's based on Mr. Fox. But the twist is that the girl um, she tells this tale at this party and gets Mr. Fox. Uh, killed, but he's actually innocent. But he is killed with the story. And that's a real game of thing, you know, like still the power of storytelling and the beautiful dark twist of Mr. Fox actually being innocent. But he is guilty as charged in this tale. So that that was justification enough that the if these great writers, when I read that, that these great writers saw something and there is something incredibly enduring in this tale as well, and I see that now, as well, and I was able to expand and draw so much from it that I'm absolutely delighted I ended up dipping into it, but it also has led me on to an idea now that I may do i may wait wait a while again because I like to feel that I'm getting stronger and better at writing these tales and reading these tales and finding these tales most of all. But this was accidentally the first time I've indirectly adapted a Grimm fairy tale. Some of the other tales may have shown up in elements in Grimm, but this seems to be the one that's closest to a Grimm fairy tale. In that something that I am wanted to do before, that I may start to do a little down the road, is just finally diving into Grimm and, and attempting to do, to find the Irish versions of Grimm fairy tales and where they don't exist to write my own. It's... I'm in two minds about it because there are, of course, the world, world-famous grim fairy tales like Cinderella and Snow White and Little Red Riding Hood or Little Red Cape as it's known as in Grim. But there are so many that aren't known as well and a lot of them are absolutely wonderful tales like The Three Snake Leaves and uh, my personal favourite The Mouse, The Bird and The Sausage which is about a mouse, a bird and a sausage who live together yes it's that wonderful yes it's my favourite grim tale and yes I will adapt it for this podcast one day I have also plans to turn The Mouse, The Bird and The Sausage into a feature Disney film as it has never been adapted so far and that is a crime as far as I'm concerned and one of the great, but the reason I'm the two minds about it is because one of the reasons I started this podcast is I wanted to explore the unknown fairy tales, especially the Irish ones, the ones that we may have heard or ones that we don't know at all, and that I think should have a platform and should be more enduring. Because everyone knows so many of the Grim Fairy Tales, so it's less necessary to adapt. Indeed, I think Philip Pullman, my absolute writing idol, achieved perfection when he did an adaptation of the Grim Fairy Tales. Uh, in 2012 called Grim Tales for Young and Old in which he was the original inspiration and probably still the single greatest inspiration on me and on this podcast uh, because he does these incredible personal but also faithful adaptations of these tales he does he gives a little brief talk afterwards about what it was he liked about the tales and what he changed in them which is something I've tried to emulate here um and he has that quote, which I talk about every so often, that he just wanted to write a version of Grim Fairy Tales that was as clear as water. Just clear, strong, not trying to invent the wheel, not trying to twist, just make his breathe a new life into them. And that's what I wanted to do with Irish folk tales. But that may be a thing I explore as well, even every so often, is taking a Grim Tale. As people have listened to know, I've toured a good bit around Germany and i've read a good a good few versions of grim fairy tales while traveling around germany indeed i was in a city called bremen last year which has one of the most famous grim fairy tales which is called the bremen town band which is about a donkey a dog and a chicken i believe it is that try to form their own band And it's considered one of the most perfectly structured fairy tales of all time by writers. And it is very much the mascot of the city of Bremen. Indeed, anywhere you go in the city, you will see this image of a chicken on a dog on top of a donkey. It's everywhere and it's really cool. And Bremen is a gorgeous, beautiful city. It's the single greatest thing about doing any kind of touring work, uh, I often say, is that you go to these places that you would never otherwise go to and uh, Bremen is one of those cities. If you're going to Germany, you're going to go to Berlin, you're going to go to Hamburg, you're going to go to Munich. Who's going to go to Bremen? And we did, and we performed a show there, and by the way, the theatre there is incredible as well. But I should wrap it up there. It was a nice, nice long podcast today, and... I'm delighted to be back in it and to be expanding them again. Uh like I said some of the versions of stories while I was away were shorter, a bit shorter than usual, but I hope that you still felt that the quality was high uh, even with the shorter length. Um thank you so much for listening. Uh thank you if it's your first time, I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you listen to it again. Again, if you want to contact me, you can do so always uh on Instagram is the best way to contact me at olahan solo o l o h a n. S-O-L-O, all one word. Um, If you want to support the podcast, you can like, uh, you can subscribe, you can leave ratings and reviews on iTunes or anywhere else you get the podcast. If you really want to support it, you can do so at Patreon uh, forward slash Fireside Podcast. Any amount is appreciated to take this podcast live is our ambition. Uh, thank you so much to Jamie Reynolds, my producer for continuing to make this podcast sound gorgeous. Thanks to all the folks at the Headstuff Podcast Network. It is fantastic to be back in the beautiful surroundings of this studio. I will see you all. you will hear me all next week on Fireside, the Irish Storytelling Podcast. Goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.